One famous theologian now dead and in heaven, Dr. Francis Schaeffer was asked the question, Dr. Schaeffer, why on earth would God ever let Satan out of the abyss after he had locked him there for a thousand years? And his response was, if you can tell me why he was released the first time, I can tell you why he will be released the second time. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, and we are looking at Christ's second coming when he binds Satan for a thousand years and the earth enjoys a time of peace, the likes of which have never before been known. But as we move into verse 7, our passage tells us that Satan will be released for a time and will once again stir up trouble. Why does this all happen? Well, let's join Dr. Brogy as he presents a message entitled, The Final Rebellion. By now, most of you know that the next great event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. And after the church has been caught up and removed, the Bible teaches that there'll be an unprecedented time of turmoil on the earth. In fact, it will be such a gruesome period, a period of time that we studied in chapters 6 through 18, that the people who are alive during this time frame will say, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It is so terrible, so frightening, that you think one might be exaggerating, but Jesus himself said, for then there will be a time of great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. If you take all of the natural disasters, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the volcanoes, the earthquakes, all of the persecutions of this world, if you take all of the famines, if you take all of the holocaust and all of the atrocities and evils that men have done and put it all together, it wouldn't even begin to compare to the time that is still out in the future. The angel Michael, the archangel, said to Daniel the prophet, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, Israel, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Jesus said it will be so terrible that unless those days had been cut short, no human could have survived it. Now, we know that there is going to be an event that will change all of this. The great tribulation will bring about the return of the Messiah to the earth in the second coming. That's Revelation chapter 19. This morning we are in the 20th chapter. We've already spent a few weeks in it. Today we want to focus just on verses 7 through 10. A difficult, challenging, meaty passage of Scripture. But if we will listen and stay alert, God has something for us. To give us a running start, I want to begin reading in verse 1. So follow along, if you would, in your Bibles. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. 
Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, as we consider this final rebellion that God prophesies here in verses 7 through 10... There are three truths that are unfolded. If you're using your note-taking outline, first, I want us to ponder from verse 7, Satan and his freedom. I want us to think for just a moment about Satan and the freedom that he is going to be given. Look, if you will, now at verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. So we know both contextually and chronologically where we are in God's prophetic calendar. John says when the thousand years are completed. In other words, this event happens after Jesus comes to the earth, rules and reigns for a thousand years. During that thousand years, the devil has been locked up. And now at the end of the thousand years, the Bible says the devil is released. If you remember, we learned in verse 3 that God's angel threw him, that is Satan, into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. So Satan has been locked away in the abyss. But here in verse 7, his prison, which is, again, another description of the abyss, it's a place where today there is a certain category of fallen demons that are present. They're going to be released during the tribulation and then put back in the abyss. And at this time, for a thousand years, Satan will be in the abyss, and Christ will be ruling and reigning. And God will keep him there until he has accomplished the purposes that he has for the millennium. The last time I was on our Graniteville campus, one of the couples, we had a Q&A time. They said, well, Pastor Carl, I'm not sure why we even need a millennium. Why should not Jesus just come back, carry us to heaven at the end of the tribulation, and just be done with it all? And I said, that is a superb question. And it was already getting late. And I said, but it's an armchair question. But when we come to Revelation chapter 20, I'll answer it. So here I am a year later. All right, follow along. I want us to see six reasons for the millennium, six reasons that God gives for the millennial kingdom. Number one, the purpose of this millennium, this kingdom, is to prove his kingdom promises to the people of Israel. God is a promise-keeping God, and every promise that he makes, he will indeed keep. Now, of course, the fact that Messiah will reign on the earth is embedded throughout the Old Testament. 
The only thing that is new under the new covenant is the length of time, a thousand years. But the prophets repeatedly speak of the coming kingdom of the Messiah. For instance, it was promised to King David in 2 Samuel 7, concerning the land, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Now, if you know Israel's history, since the time they entered the promised land, they have been under affliction. And even now that these last days God has brought them back into the land, the nation still opposed them. This has never, ever been fulfilled, but it is going to be fulfilled. But then God made a promise about the Messiah's throne. Listen, 2 Samuel 7, 12. When your days are complete, speaking to King David, and you lie down, you die with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Now there are repeated dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament that confirm this truth that someone from the tribe of Judah, the family of David, we call him the Christ, the Messiah in Hebrew, will come and rule and reign upon the earth. In fact, when he stepped out of heaven and showed up on his birthday in Bethlehem, the angel Gabriel said this to Mary, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. That's never happened but it is going to happen. Israel will be in the land. The boundaries that God promised Abraham will be fulfilled. They've never had all the land that God promised them, and God will rule. So that's the first purpose. God is gonna keep his promises to the people of Israel. Let me give you a second purpose for the reign of Jesus on the earth. God will prove his initial intention for man. God gives us a snapshot during the millennial reign of what he had really had for Adam and Eve had they not rebelled against God. In the opening chapter in Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It was God's intention for Adam, and by extension, you and I, to rule. We don't rule. Adam doesn't rule. You can't dump it on Adam because when Adam sinned, Romans 5, 12 says we all sinned. We were in and with Adam. We rebelled there in the garden with him. And so he abdicated the opportunity to rule, and this is Satan's world, so to speak. He's called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. But God is going to allow the Messiah to rule, and we'll see in a moment we will rule with him. Also, during the time of the millennial reign of Christ, the Messiah will rule, and lifespans will be greatly extended. Listen to Isaiah 65 and verse 20, no longer. Will there be in it an infant who, die, who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days? For the youth will die at the age of 100. The youth at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. In short, one of the sources of sorrow and weeping today is death. But during the millennial reign of Christ, God is going to change the nature of death. It will be different. People will die, but they will live 
far longer, much like during the days of Noah. Even the biology and the ecology of the world will change, and we'll see in a moment who will die and why they will die during this period of time. But if you see a 100-year-old man walking around in that day, you could say, hey, young man, and you won't be joking. I was joking recently, there was an elderly woman, her daughter was there, they were obviously a mirror image in the face, and I said, now who's this young lady with you? And that younger lady, she laughed and she said, uh, I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 83. And then her daughter says, she's not 83, she's 92. I said, okay. <laughs> but during this time, if you're 100 and you die, you'll be dying in your youth. And then the next verse says, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. There's going to be perfect justice upon the earth. Never again will a man be robbed of the fruits of his labor. That's what God initially intended. Now, we read that in America, and it doesn't mean all that much to us, but in many parts of the world, their eyes brighten when they read a promise like that because no one will come into their vineyard or into their fields and steal their crops. They will enjoy the pleasure of what they've planted. And God actually says, and by, by the way, though, it's beginning to change in America, isn't it? When I was a boy, the only time we locked our house is when we went on vacation. We never locked our cars. But that all changed when we got into high school because the fabric of America was beginning to change. And we are seeing Romans 1 lived out. People say, oh, what's, what's the solution to all, these solution, to all these shootings that are happening in America? The evil we are seeing is Romans chapter 1. When a nation forsakes God, God gives them over to a depraved mind, an upside-down mind where men call evil good and good evil. And when you read the list in the latter part of Romans 1, it's chilling. It's what we are seeing lived out in our day. The problem that we are seeking to fix is not a psychological problem. They'll say, well, this is mental illness. It has nothing to do with mental illness. It is a moral problem. It is a spiritual problem. That's not to say there couldn't be a mentally ill person. But overall, this is a moral issue according to God in the book of Romans. During this period of time, God will also change the environment. The world itself will be different. Isaiah speaks of the fact that the desert will blossom like a rose. Occasionally, I'll be in Israel, and some tour guide will say, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Look, the desert there, it's blossoming like a rose. Yeah, they got this little section, three miles square, that they've irrigated, and that's not what the Scripture is speaking about. It's speaking about all of Israel being green and fruitful, and it's going to happen during the millennium. In fact, even the animal world will be different. Isaiah eleven six says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. A few verses later, a baby will play over the hole of a snake, over the nest of a serpent. An infant will put his, put his hand. They will no longer injure or destroy in my entire royal mountain, for there will be universal submission to the Lord's sovereignty, just as the waters completely cover the sea. People ask me all the time, why is there so much evil in the world? If God is such a God of love, why is there so much evil? And the answer is because of sin. This was never God's original plan. 
But he made man with a free will, and we chose to rebel against God. But during the millennium, God will give us a glimpse before we step into eternity what, it w- what he had originally intended. Third, our third purpose there for the millennium is not only to fulfill his promises to Israel and to prove his promises for man, what he intended, but also to prove his promises to the church. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians of their future, and by application, our future, when someday in some way we as Christians will help judge the world. He asked her, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? In Romans, the fifth chapter, he says, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, born-again people, they will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So sprinkled all the way through the Gospels and through the epistles, are these promises that when Jesus rules and reigns, so will his people. And so God promised the church in Revelation chapter 2, and then he applies it to all the churches when he says, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. You see the change there in typeset? That tells you it's an Old Testament quote. He's quoting Psalm 2, and he goes on to quote it further. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. Psalm 2, one of the most important psalms in the whole Psalter. And if you know it, you know it is a promise that God the Son made, that God the Father made to God the Son, that his Son is going to rule, that he will give Jesus the nations as an inheritance. But here Jesus, when he speaks to this particular church and to all the churches, he applies it not just to himself, but to us. Paul says in 2 Timothy, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Christ in Revelation 3.21 again promises this co-regency. He who overcomes, and every true believer will overcome. You're not saved by overcoming. You're not saved by perseverance. When Jesus said the one who perseveres to the end will be saved, he is giving a mark of genuine conversion. You're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but if you've been made a new creature in Christ, you will persevere. You're not saved by perseverance, but if you are saved, you will persevere, you will overcome. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. It's all a part of the coming kingdom. In Revelation 5, verse 10, you have made them, speaking of the church, to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then in this chapter, in verse 4, the Scripture promises that we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So what's the purpose of the millennium? One, first and foremost, to keep his promises to Israel. Number two, to prove what God originally had intended for man, had we not sinned. Number three, and that vindicates his goodness. Number three, to prove the promises that he made to the church. But number four, to prove the promises that he made to his son. The father has appointed the son to reign and to rule and to give the the nations of this world as his inheritance. Satan, if you remember because of man's rebellion, became the God of this world. And so when Satan said there in the temptation, Matthew 4, Luke 4, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, that was a legitimate offer because Satan had the kingdoms of the world. 
But Jesus would not yield to that temptation. He saw that Satan's offer was nothing but sawdust and sand. And so God promised that he would give his son the nations of the world as he came to fulfill the purposes. And so we read in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Listen, we live in a day where the name of Jesus is mocked. People use it in vain. They make fun of Christian values. But a day is coming when God will give the honor to Jesus that he deserves for this reason also, because he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. The name which is above every name, the text says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Notice in addition, a fifth reason. God will prove through the millennium the answer to the prayers he has asked us to pray. Ever since the time of Abram, later named Abraham, God promised a kingdom. And Jesus himself, when he was on the earth, he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most people pray that today and they have no idea what they're even praying. But as you read the church fathers and you read the New Testament, they understood precisely what that meant. That there will come a day when on earth, when Messiah rules and reigns, God's will will be done as it's being done this morning in heaven. And so during this thousand years, the devil has been locked up. Jesus is ruling and reigning. God has a purpose for the millennium. There are many more purposes, but those are some of the key. So Satan at the end of the thousand years is loose. That's Satan and his freedom. Second, there on your outline, let's think for a moment about Satan and his forces. Satan and his forces. We read now in verse seven. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So after being bound in the abyss, the bottomless pit for a thousand years, Satan is turned loose. He is is given freedom from the prison to wreak havoc. One famous theologian now dead and in heaven, Dr. Francis Schaeffer was asked the question, Dr. Schaeffer, why on earth would God ever let Satan out of the abyss after he had locked him there for a thousand years? And his response was, if you can tell me why he was released the first time, I can tell you why he will be released the second time. But listen, God knows the answer, and it's part of God's plan. I have the word must circled in verse 3 here in my Bible. It says he must, he must, he must be released. That brings me to the sixth reason as to why God has a millennial reign, and it is to prove the depravity of man's nature. The reign of the Messiah is going to show just how fallen and depraved man really is. Now, here's the devil. Certainly, he is incorrigible. He is unrepentant. He is stubborn as can be, but he is locked up for a thousand years. And yet at the end of the thousand years, knowing that his end is short, he still 
is trying to push evil. And when he does so, he is going to really demonstrate how fallen and depraved we really are. You know, we sing that great hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some people say, well, I may be a sinner, but I'm certainly not a wretch. But the more you grow in Christ, And the more you see what God is like, the more you are able to embrace the truth of that hymn because it reflects Scripture. When Paul wants us to see what we are really like, what we have the capacity to do, he strings together in Romans 3 some Old Testament quotes, and he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Now, during the thousand-year reign of Christ, Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. Satan will have zero ability, along with all of his demons, who are also likewise in the abyss, zero ability to tempt or deprive anyone towards evil. But when that thousand years is over and he is released, we will see the feigned obedience of many who had submitted to Jesus as Lord but had never truly embraced him and been converted by him. We will see the truth of Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I was doing the funeral, as far as I know, of a known unbeliever. I mean, when I would plead with him to receive Jesus, he would laugh at me. But then when the family needed a preacher, they called me. And one person there said, but he had such a good heart. And God would say, no, the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so Satan will be released from his prison at the command of a sovereign God who rules and reigns on earth and above, in heaven above. The abyss will be opened. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Revelation 1 and verse 18, we studied it in the second message I think I did, or maybe the third, that the Lord Jesus has the keys of death and of Hades. So Satan is not the ruler of the abyss. God puts him in there, uses one of his angels. God allows him to be released. Neither is Satan the king of Hades. Today, if a man dies, he goes to Hades. He doesn't go to the lake of fire. He goes today to Hades, which is a place of torment. It's an awful place. But Satan doesn't rule there. Christ has the keys to Hades. In death in Hades, when we come next time to the next paragraph, is thrown into the lake of fire, and neither is Satan the ruler there. He's not the king of hell. He's not the king of Gehenna. Gehenna, hell, was prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan has never been there. Some people think, well, Satan is down there in hell, and, you know, he's got this pitchfork and these cloven hoofs and his horns coming out of his head and his forked tail, and he's, he's poking around and tormenting people. No, he is not tormenting anyone. He's never even been to hell yet. And when he gets there, he won't be in charge of it. He will be God's chief prisoner there. God rules in heaven, on earth, And he rules over hell as well. You're listening to a message entitled, The Final Rebellion from Revelation chapter 20. 
To listen to this or any of the messages in our series on the Revelation, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478. And for today's message, ask for program REV59. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Won't you consider an end-of-year donation? For more information, click the Give button on the Search the Scriptures app or the Search the Scriptures website. Or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Part 2 of The Final Rebellion. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.